Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program as we get you in touch with the Houston Texans. It's a football Friday. It's always a football Friday when it's a Friday. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, great to visit. We haven't visited for a few days. I know you had three up or three from deep or whatever it's yeah. called from DP Sidhu yesterday. And fun. I wanted to get your reaction. So I'm going to blend that with gut reaction with a few other things. A little bit later on, Tim Jamison, former Texans player, who was kind of a Swiss Army knife kind of guy on defense and did a lot of different things. And Drew Doherty's going to catch up with him. A little bit of my visit with Randy McElvoy from Local 2. That's a longer podcast on the Vandermeer's View on the Texans app. But let's start here. Gut reaction, my friend. And I'm going to go in no particular order. It's Friday. Yeah. It's a fun Friday. Let's have some fun here. All right. You might have talked about this, and I know it's college football, but look, we've got a bowl game at the end of the season, <laughs> and it involves the Big 12 and the SEC and former Big 12 member Texas A&M and Alabama. Boy, that game in the regular season this year is going to be something. But what was your reaction to what Saban said, what Jimbo said, and what the world is saying about the NIL controversy? The, the first thing I have to do with Saban was when I heard Saban say that, I was like, oh, no, I got a feeling AM's not going to be happy with this and Jimbo's not going to be happy with this. But when I heard the whole thing that he said, I realized, oh, this has nothing to do with AM. This has nothing to do with Jackson State. This has everything to do with the boosters that he's talking to. And that is, hey, man, you guys are the one out. You guys out there are the ones with the money. Step up. You guys you guys can step up. He didn't say it because he's not going to say it, but he said it without saying it. But what he did was obviously gather the attention of Jimbo Fisher. This was my, this was my tweet from yesterday. As I was listening to Jimbo, I'm listening to it going, Holy cow. But I wasn't surprised in some way, shape or form. I mean, I really, I really wasn't. I put this. I have this sneaky suspicion that this is very cathartic for Jimbo to let it all out. He's been sitting on all of this, probably stewing about things for years, wanting to let people really know. Saban just hit the pressure release valve last night. And oh. I really feel like Fisher. I'm not going to say that Fisher didn't like working for Saban, but I read an article today about Bruce Feldman. So it was my suspicion that, the way that he was reacting, because in all honesty, he didn't say AM had done anything wrong. He basically had said AM beat their you know what in recruiting because of the collective and that Alabama's boosters need to step up. But Fisher looked at it as, all right, man, you indirectly are dragging my name through the mud. I've had it with you. I've had it. I've dealt with this for 20 some odd years. I coached with you and you made it miserable and you continue to make it miserable. I'm done. And he just blasted and he just let it all out because there were some things coming out that really had nothing to do with what Saban had to say. Yeah. So to me, Saban made the mistake of mentioning AM. I mean, he could have talked about, you know, other schools are beating us in recruiting if we don't step up talking to the boosters. Hey, done that. I don't think any of this happens. But when he mentioned AM by name, all of a sudden it was, it gave Jimbo carte blanche to say, you know what, pal? I've had enough. I'm done with you. And he just let it all out. I got a feeling that afterwards, Jimbo was probably shaking a little bit like, oh, my gosh, I've had this stuff stored in my brain yeah. for years, and I just got it out. Oh, my God. 
this is a weird feeling because he's been storing it up and he's been waiting. I mean, and probably never thought he was going to say anything, but when he was given the opportunity to say something and he let it out, I got a feeling that probably felt pretty good for him. And the fact that his players are all backing him up saying, you go coach. Yeah, man, you got yeah. our back. Yeah. Now he mentioned, he, you know, he mentioned the, the seven, you know, 17 year olds make a decision. You know, all that. No, listen, Jimbo Fisher had act, had an ax to grind with Nick Saban and probably had one for a long time. And he let loose and good for Jimbo for doing it. People don't like being called a narcissist. They don't enjoy that at all. And you know what? It's kind of like the Jerry Jones story that came out. It wasn't much of a story, but Mike Florio referenced it. How Jones said that I, and this might've been a long time ago that, yeah, things happen sometimes that are negative to your franchise. It's almost like there's no such thing as bad publicity. There is such thing as bad publicity, but There's drama in what happens in football, in any business, really. And football is a very public business. There's drama. There's some good and some bad and everything. And Jerry wasn't talking about his personal stuff, but just stuff that goes on with the team that people might disagree with. You know what? Everybody's into it. Everybody's into the drama. Everybody's into the storylines. Everybody's interested. And that's good for the sport, really. The level of interest. Johnny, we are in an era here. This is the next thing of adjustments to scheduling, right? Obviously, everyone went through it with COVID. But when you look at what's going on right now with the PGA Championship, for instance, for instance, it's here. It used to be in August. It's here, and it was a good move by the PGA. And there's talk in horse racing, last thing you expected to come up on the program tonight, <laughs> horse racing, but there's talk of moving the Preakness and the Belmont, sliding the Preakness a couple of weeks later because – you have your derby winner not running in the freaking right. Preakness, and he's healthy, all right? right? With health, you should be running in the Preakness. What are you guys doing? This is your sport. Look, you don't get a triple crown winner all the time. We all know this. You got to have a chance for a triple right. crown winner. That derby winner has got to be able to run in the Preakness. Move the Preakness. Who cares? Oh, well, it has to be. Pimlico has to have it. That No. No, nobody cares unless you have the proper amount of participation. And you know what I found out also? A lot of the losers of the Derby skip the Preakness anyway. And I didn't even know that, that they just skip it. They're like, we're done. We don't need to run in the Preakness. We'll wait for the Belmont, Belmont longer track and everything. But I think it's nice. And look, in the NFL, we're in it as well with a 17-game schedule now and the no fourth preseason game. And all those adjustments. I like it, Johnny. I think change is good. You have to embrace it. Yeah, I think so. To maximize eyes and, and viewership on your sport, you know, along those lines, too, I think our our business, too, is is something that needs to be embraced a little bit more throughout. And I, I've been watching. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to watch this on Netflix. I, I'd heard on Twitter it's starting to get a little bit of run. F1. F1. It's called Formula to Drive. It's huge. And so I started watching it and I'm like, this is freaking awesome. And it's all the drama. It's it's basically like an NFL mic'd up episode on steroids. Mm-hmm. You're in the you're in the cars, you're seeing what they're seeing. The visuals at all these different great racetracks throughout the world are incredible. And Mark, it's done a massive number on Netflix. It's raised the profile of F1 so much so like the other day we had, I mean, 
but, you know, Jack and I have moved into a new place. And as we've moved in, I mean, we're kind of moving things around. It was the Miami Grand Prix. And I think it was the first time down in Miami. I had a thing up on my television screen. I'm watching what's going on. Yep. And I'm watching things happen. And I'm getting, I never would have paid attention to F1. I never would have paid attention to the Premier League if I hadn't watched the show that was on uh, Netflix about Manchester City. I would have never, I've never watched it. Now I love it. I actually sat and watched Everton uh, against Crystal Palace the second half to watch Everton come back to not get relegated. And so it's opening eyes up to new view. How do we, how do we get to new viewers? How do we get to new fans? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And so I bring that up because golf following along the lines of F1, the, the guys that came up with the concept of formula to drive for F1 are now doing it for golf. And the hope is, Hey, we're going to introduce fans to these golfers that have great personalities and are great athletes and you get behind the scenes and you can see their thinking and you get up close and personal. Yeah. And it got me thinking you make changes to things and yeah, maybe the participants, I mean, like if you ask the players, they love 17 games. No, I mean, it's that's 17, just hell fights every single Sunday or Thursday or Monday or whenever they're playing, but more money, but man, it's more money. It's more fans. It's more eyeballs. It's mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, it's more everything. And it's the same with golf. Like, Hey man, you might not like being mic'd up on a golf course, but if that brings more eyeballs and more fans within it, which then raises the purses, raises the TV ratings, raises everything else, man, so be it. You know, traditions are great. I love it. But you know, you know me, I'm a college football fan. I mean, yeah. we lost Pitt Penn state a long time ago. We lost Oklahoma, Nebraska, you know, the sport didn't die. You know, the sport you could say got better, I guess. Um, yeah, we miss some of those traditions, but you create different ones like A&M and Alabama. You create yeah. new ones. And so moving the PGA, that puts more eyeballs in the PGA right now. I guarantee you that PGA being what late August or early September, man, you're caught in the football wash. You don't want to yeah. be caught in the football wash. No way you want to be over there. Right. You just, there's no shot. There's no chance of, of you coming out of there with good ratings or good anything. And so the PGA moving when it did, I think is great. And I think there are a lot of things that change can help embrace. I'm telling you, all the different building the Texans. Um, I saw one today about the, the Chargers. Just seeing the Chargers uh, sign Khalil Mack and Mack coming into the building and having these conversations with uh, Brandon Staley and seeing how that went down. Like, that just raises your interest level in that particular team. You know, you see Lovey Smith and Nick Casario, you know, hugging in the in – the, uh, they didn't love it. But our fans loved it. They wanted it. I mean, they were sending <laughs> they it to everybody. It. I mean, our fans really liked it. Like, hey, man, look, our guys like each other. And they got yeah. a little peek behind a curtain. And I think that that all helps. And so embracing the changes, I think, you know, it can be tough. But I think it ends up in the long run if it's made with good intentions in mind to get more eyeballs and get more fans. Man, I think it works. And, and by the way, F1 – I. I mean, I follow F1. I'm checking F1 all the time. Like, they had qualifying. Um, I think it was today they had qualifying. And, you know, uh, George Russell was uh, P2 and Lewis Hamilton was P3 from the Mercedes team. And I'm like, I never would have known any of that other than I know who Lewis Hamilton is. But Mercedes, for our, I, don't, I don't know any of that. I don't now, know having watched it. this show, I love it. I love, I Mark, you got to watch this show. It's I awesome. I will. It's but really I don't great. know how you do it. You, you, I know everything about college football, pro football. You know everything about soccer overseas. And and by the way, I didn't know this, that 
La Liga, I guess, in Mexico, that they have yeah. kind of two seasons. I kind of like this idea. Yeah. I kind of yeah. like having two seasons. I think there's something there for the NBA. All right. Final mm. item Ooh. in this segment Ooh. here. Davis Mills, a lot of talk about him and the media is catching on to this sort of Andrew Luck theme. You know, a lot of guys on the <laughs> yeah. Twitterverse, they're catching up to it because of the Pep Hamilton thing when he yeah. was at Stanford, of course, and with the Colts and the rest of it. And you have Kevin Hogan here, the rest of it. But I bring this up because with all the talk we do about Mills, we all know we want to see Mills do that year one to year two jump, be the guy day one, come out guns blazing against the Colts, do all that stuff. But you're with me on this, and this is going to be a recurring theme. The biggest help for him is going to be running the football. It's going to be moving the ball on the ground. Here you have Rex Burkhead, your leading returning rusher, who averaged 3.5 per carry. I'm not going to slam Rex for that because we all know it was a collaborative thing and they just yep. didn't get the ball. They, they didn't get the job done running the ball last year. They've got to do it this year based on what we see with the line, with the backs that we know are on the roster right now. You never know who might be coming to the party later. Will they do it, Johnny? Will they be able to run the rock a lot better? Because that has to happen a lot better in 2022. So we did last night our segment three from deep. And so I gave DP the three topics. And one of those was the three things you're most confident the Texans are better in 2022 than in 2021. So I let her answer all of those. And so I decided, well, you know what? In my daily brew, I'll answer them. I'll answer my own questions. And I said that I can't remember what I had for A, but B, oh, yeah, A and B were the offensive line and running backs. And I went back and I looked. If there are five offensive linemen, 17 starts, that's 85 possible starts on the offensive line. The Texans five that started against the Jaguars in week one that we thought was going to be the offensive line started 46 of 85. That's not good. And of those 46, there were there Laramie played, I think, all about eight plays in one game. So, I mean, you can even go to 45. So they had 40. Six of 85 starts from that front five. And that can't happen. I mean, that just, it, it, it just can't happen. But I think it's better with Laramie. And I did my position breakdown the O-line. Laramie left tackle, Titus at right, Kenyon Green at left guard, JB at center, and then figuring out who's at right guard, whether it's AJ Cam, Max Sharping, or whatever the, the competition is going to be there at right guard. That offensive line is going to be better. I am confident that offensive line is going to be better. Now, if I'm wrong then, man, there is something inherently going on with this offensive line that we just can't figure out mm -hmm. because it would have been a couple of different O-line coaches, a couple of different offensive schemes. What's going on? I think it's going to be better. I don't think that's the case. I think it will get better, and I think the running backs will help make it better. I love the fact, I love the fact that um, George Warhop is here, and I think he is going to make things – that much better for this offensive line. I think they're going to move some people off the ball. And I think the running game is going to be able to benefit because they've added Marlon Mack to Rex Burkhead to Damian Pierce, the rookie. I think that this is going to be a group that is going to be outstanding uh, eventually. Maybe not right away, but I think as the season goes on, I think you're going to end up uh, having a group that's going to be able to run the football. So I'm, I'm confident in the run game and the running backs. And my God, I, I hope I'm right. I hope well, I'm right, Mark, because if it's not, then I don't know what you, I, I don't know what you can do at that point. 
Well, like I said, recurring theme, because we'll be talking about that an awful lot between now and the start of the season and through the season, obviously, because it's a week-to-week evaluation. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got it, Mark. Thank you. All right, coming up, Tim Jamison used to play for the Texans. What's he up to now? He's doing some really great work in the community. And one of your favorite sportscasters, he should be, from local to Randy McElvoy. He is going to join us as well here on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening on a Friday night here at Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer with you. And we'll get to Tim Jamison in just a moment. Astros last night, you saw Lovey Smith was out there. Nick Casario was out there. Players. Our social media channels have all that stuff for you to check out to uh, sort of eavesdrop on their visit a little bit with the Houston Astros. And great to see Dusty Baker and Lovey Smith posing for photos. Those two were coaching, managing, together or at the same time for a while in the Windy City. And, man, Lovey's return to Chicago this year in November. That is going to be fun. Oh, September. I keep getting the Chicago date mixed up with the Giants date. Giants in November in New York. Chicago, a September date. That'll actually be week three. Denver is week two. We'll have a quiz on this later. Go to HoustonTexans.com for more on the schedule, ticket information, the Texans app, of course, where you can find great content like Where Are They Now? What are former Texans players up to? Like Tim Jamison, who was with the team from 09 through 14, And always found a way to stick around, to be on the roster, to make plays. Former Wolverine defender Drew Doherty caught up with him and asked him what he was up to lately. Oh, man. Uh, Thanks for having me, Drew. Right now, man, I'm a business owner in Pearland, Texas. My wife and I own a preschool, Brightlands Academy. Uh, We service kids pre-K-3 through kindergarten. And um, we recently just opened up uh, the Think Space, which was served as a multi-use event center. Uh, during the week, it would serve as after-school tutorial, but on the weekends, it'd be rented out for like birthday parties, graduations, mm-hmm. uh, even weddings. So uh, we're doing with a lot. So it's awesome. You're a big guy. You used to mix it up in the trenches with offensive line. Nasty dude. You're trying to get after the quarterback. How did you transition from that life to the one you're living now? I mean, that that's a different different uh, journey or different venture to get into after what you're you're going through for you know, the early part of your professional life. Uh, it's it's definitely different. You know, uh, I tell people, they always bust jokes saying uh, you went from chasing quarterbacks to chasing little kids around. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. My wife and I came up with this idea while I was playing in the NFL. She was a teacher. And so when I retired, the opportunity came up um, to purchase a preschool because the owners were wanting to retire from the uh, from that life. And um, my wife and I spent the year uh, learning uh, how to run a business and things like that, doing our due diligence. And after that year, we felt confident enough to jump right into it. So uh, it was a pretty good transition from, you know, being retired. Of course, I had to uh, stop and do the injuries and things like that. But, you know, I think it was pretty cool just being an entrepreneur, being a business owner right after playing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. That's really cool. You know, I always had a, a kind of, I felt a sort of a kinship with you because my first year with the Texans was 2009. I came in right at the end of training camp. You had been, uh, you had been signed by the Texans. Yeah. I almost said drafted. Yeah. You were an undrafted rookie and you were this, a rookie that same year. And you yeah. were the first undrafted guy from that class to sign with the Texans. A lot of people remember Arian Foster, obviously, and the successes he had, but you were called up before him. You got called up right before week five against the Cardinals. And 
we were joking off camera. I just looked at the video because I did a one-on-one with you right after it happened. And it was, it was really fun experience. You don't look much different too, man. You still look the same. You still look uh, <laughs> youthful, you know, all those years back. Well, you know, um, I got to credit that to my therapist, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of injuries and uh, they forced me to retire. Uh, James Painish uh, and Live to Move. So uh, he does therapy. Actually, I did therapy morning and I just, you know, little maintenance things uh, to keep me rolling because I meet a lot of retired guys, uh, guys that I see in their 60s that's moving around. They credit that to just stand up on their injuries and doing therapy and things like that. And then I meet some guys who can barely walk around. So I try to, you know, stay on top of those injuries so we can prolong those uh, issues. So what was that like that first year? Because you came from a blue blood program, man. You were a Michigan Wolverine. You were, a, you know, a co-captain your last year. You played in some big, big football games. And then you don't wind up getting drafted. What was, was, did you think you were going to get drafted? What was draft weekend like for you back then? So, yes, uh, it was frustrating. I think about it every time the draft come around. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, I always see the silver lining. You know, I knew I was a pretty good football player uh, playing at that prestigious university. You playing against basically uh, pro talent every every weekend. So that prepared me for when I did get that shot. Um, I was supposed to be drafted. That's what they told me. But when I went undrafted, I just, you know, uh, talked to my parents, talked to my agent about it. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's still football. So, you know, I had to go and prove myself, which I had no problem doing, you know, because that's something that I've been doing on my whole life. So uh, just to go there and, uh, you know, just show what I, I can do and earn my teammates trust, earn the coaches trust. Uh, you know, in college, I've uh, compared it to being a walk on on college. So it's basically, you know, you try to just earn your scholarship, prove that you want to be there. And so that's the mentality I took. From the first day I got signed to the last day I, I strapped up. Every day I never took it for granted. So, Tell me about the first day you're in that locker room and you see guys like Mario Williams and Antonio Smith, who had signed as a free agent that offseason that you joined the team. Sean Cody, nose tackle. Uh, yeah. you know He played inside. With, I mean, there are a lot of personalities on that defense. Ryan Cushing was a rookie as well that year. Yeah. What was that like when you get in that locker room and you kind of look around and see who's, who's with you? Well, uh, like I said, the guys you mentioned, that was their first year along with the Texans too. So they were trying to fill out the culture as well. So that kind of helped in a way. Um, we was all learning each other as players. So you kind of got a gauge of the guys who, you know, took that work ethic to the practice field from the classroom to the practice field. And once you start getting the gauge of who was around you, that kind of helped us bond together, learn each other. And uh, we all had one goal. Like, uh, I think we was part of the team that won their first winning season in, in Texas history. Yeah. So that kind of started something. We had, you know, captains like D'Amico Ryan who um, called the team dinner, team defensive dinner. And I, I, you know, that was my rookie year. So I thought that was the standard. But a lot of players said that was the first time they ever did that. And uh, that just, it kind of reminded me of like college, like guys just laughing, like the guy Sean Cody, Antonio Smith, those guys are characters. So they <laughs> kind of kept it lively in a, a meeting room, in a locker room. Uh, you know, intense situation. So nobody was really nervous. It was kind of like relaxed. We trusted each other and we were very competitive, you know, so we competed mm -hmm. against each other day in and day out. And I think that really helped that team. What was, uh, what was it like when you actually come to Houston being from, you know, you're a Chicago guy, you played at Mi Michigan, you know, what's it like when you come down here for, I guess, rookie minicamp that year, pretty uh, big adjustment. How, how that, how things go. 
Well, uh, my year was kind of different. 2009, they didn't have a rookie mini camp that year. Um, and so I was still in Ann Arbor when a lot of my colleagues were going to mini camps and I didn't show up to OTAs. Oh, wow. But, okay. Yeah. So OTA started like around this time, mid, mid May. And in Michigan, I, I won't say at the time it was like 60 degrees is the high people wearing shorts. I come out here, <laughs> it's 85 degrees at eight o'clock in the morning. So that was an adjustment, you know, yeah. but being out here for about, you know, the next two or three months, I got accustomed pretty easy. So it was pretty yeah. good. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that first stretch of the season, basically the first month where you're on the practice squad, you're, you're working, you're obviously, you've turned some heads, but, uh, in really, I, I looked at this video of you and I talking right after you'd gotten called up and it jarred a memory. Yeah. You thought when they called you in to tell you you were getting elevated, you thought you were getting cut, didn't you? Yes. Yes, I did. You know, uh, being undrafted, you know, Tuesdays is always your day off, um, but Tuesday is also the day they bring in guys to work out. And if they make their transactions, they're waving guys. So they called me in on a Tuesday and I was nervous because three guys had just got released the week before. And I was like, oh, man. Um, and, you know, I never read any you know newspaper clippings or anything. So all that I had my head down the whole time. Just go to work, go home. And hopefully I did good. So I'm not getting cut today. So when they called me and they told me the news that I was getting elevated to play my first game. I was ecstatic, you know, uh, that was probably one of my best memories getting called up and, uh, and telling them, telling me that, you know, your hard work has been paying off. Um, you've been making our team better by going against players like Dwayne Brown, uh, Eric Winston, you know, Chester Pitts, those type of guys, and you earned their respect. And so that was good to hear as, as a rookie trying to find my way and to getting that, you know, get that call and let, let me, you know, uh, to play in that first game. That was amazing. So. Yeah, when you got into the game action, what was that like? It was at Arizona, out there yeah. in the desert. They had a pretty good offense. They were coming off of a Super Bowl appearance the year before. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald was a guy catching pass. I mean, what was that like, that first game, first welcome to the NFL moment when you're in a regular season game, actually? Yeah, it was, it was amazing during, during the warm-up, you know, going out there, stretching, looking at the crowd and things like that. Um, you know, that was a dream come true. You know, you know, not too many people make it to that level. Yeah. So to be in, the, in that arena at the time, playing for our team to try to get that victory, uh, it was amazing. But when the when the game started, all that went out the window. It was yeah. like focus on the game plan. Uh, this is what got me here. Now I got to make sure I stay. And so that's all I, you know, saying was in my mind. Focus on the team, helping us try to uh, win that game. Man, your career. When you look at the the seasons you played, it was '09. You start as a rookie. '14 is your last year. I mean, Texans go nine and seven. They're looking towards the future. They finally had a winning season. And then six and 10, there's a little bit of a backslide. Yeah. But then Wade Phillips comes in and a lot of other Jonathan Joseph, JJ Watt, you know, Connor Barwin gets healthy. You keep maturing. A lot of things happen. You guys yeah. go to the playoffs. You do it again the next season. And then the bottom falls out because of a lot of stuff in 13. And then yeah. new coaching staff. And you guys kind of pick back up where you were. Does anything in particular, is there a favorite memory of yours from your time as a Houston Texan? Um, I will say uh, the best memories, uh, I will say, man, because it's a lot. I mean, I spent my whole athletic career, pro career with the same team. Yeah. So, like, you, you mentioning that stuff brings up a lot of memories. But uh, I think we alluded to it uh, before, like making a team as an undrafted free agent. That was probably one of the best memories yeah. uh, in that first regular season game. And um, I will say winning the AFC South Division for the first time in team history. Um, 
that that was one of the probably one of the highlights um, because the fans, I don't think they expected that from us because when we came back, you would have thought we won a Super Bowl or something. It was like <laughs> packed with so many fans there, and they were just so proud to be Houston Texans. Um, and that was amazing. Uh, I don't know if this is a highlight, a low light, but we did get those Letterman jackets. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. They were uh, awesome for a few few days, and then yeah, they, they a took a lot days, of heat. Yeah, a, yeah. So I'll be uh, interested to find out who all have the. I framed mine, so good. Uh, my game wrong. Uh, They're cool. Like, Listen, those things are cool. They, they were cool. It was. You didn't lose the game because of those jackets. Exactly. I think there were some mismatches that Belichick was able to exploit. It, it, you did not lose a game because of some some uh, some athletic apparel. It was exactly. it was a football difference, you know. It was actual on the field stuff, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. But um, like I said, having all the coaches changes, I believe during my time with the Texans, I played under three different defensive coordinators. Yeah. So that was that was uh interesting you know going from a 4-3 under uh, frank bush then going to a 3-4 version of kind of 3-4 under with wade phillips and then romeo canal coming in with the traditional 3-4 mm-hmm. i think that helped me as a player learn to adjust to different schemes and learn different type of uh, terminology and things like that and all the players that we came in contact with through my time uh here in houston so it was all a great experience yeah how much when when wade came in how worried were you because you'd been in a 4-3 did yeah, you know, switching systems did that kind of get you worried at all, or, or did you just have the confidence? Hey, I can make this happen no matter what. Well, so uh, my defensive line coach Bill Kolar yeah. uh, had a meeting with us, and I believe he had been in the four three system prior to uh, the way Phillips as well. And so they came to me, and they were like, "Look, you got a choice: either lose fifteen pounds, go to outside linebacker, or gain fifteen pounds and play kind of like a five technique, three technique defensive end." Yeah, and I just I told him, I said, I can, I can gain weight pretty easily. So yeah. I just jumped into it. And at the end of the day, like I said, it's football. So as long as I can learn the terminology and, uh, you know, do what they need me to do, you know, I'm like an undrafted free agent. Your mindset is like the more I can do. Yeah. You're valuable. So I was able to adjust pretty well and I felt pretty comfortable in it. And I gained uh, Wade Phillips trust. That was his first year there. And um, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You just made it happen. Didn't matter. Yeah. That was cool. That's- who do you keep in touch with? What teammates you still, because uh, you're involved with the Texans Legends program. I saw you at the golf tournament last week. That was cool. But which guys do you still talk with and, and kind of keep up with? Uh, I actually talked to a, a, a gang of guys, really. Um, you know, I called uh, D'Amico Ryans, uh, uh, i say a couple months ago. I actually talked to my former coach, Bill Kolar, uh, last week. How's that guy doing? He's doing pretty good. He's still in Denver. Uh, uh-huh. And we just caught up because I was in Morgan State uh, University helping their football team out during the spring last month. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, William Carr, who's the interim head coach right now, he played for Bill Kolar uh, back in the Atlanta Falcon days. And so we called and uh, he just, you know, it was good catching up with him. And I told him, I said, you know what, as a player, you know, we used to see you yelling all the time, getting on guys. And now that I had experience coaching, I definitely understand you now. And <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I gave you any problems back in the day. So we just had a good laugh for about 45 minutes. Um, and uh, it was it was good catching up. But other than that, it's uh, uh, Earl Mitchell, uh, you know, Derek Crick, uh, those guys who I probably stay in contact the most. But other mm-hmm. guys, like you said, I see them at like legend events, um, 
or if I don't talk to them on the phone, I see them, you know, online, we still in touch with each other online and things like that. So that's great. Um, yeah, it's good. So uh, I want to get into this Morgan State thing, but before we do, uh, as a Bill Kolar former, as someone who was coached by Bill Kolar now coaching, do yeah. you find yourself yelling, stay up like Bill <laughs> Kolar? And that's the idea like Bill Kolar, because those are the two things that I remember him saying all the time. Do you remember uh, that as well? I do remember that, but I would say uh, his main phrase was get to the ball. Yeah. So I would say I catch myself saying that a lot. No loafing run to the ball. You never know what's going to happen as long as you're just attacking the ball, playing to the whistle. So I remember him saying that probably the most to players. Not to me. Uh, he didn't really have to yell at me much. But, uh, nah. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty good. And so I caught myself doing that. And, you know, just all the coaches I've been around, just taking all the things I learned from them throughout my time, whether it was college or professional, being able to teach that to the, to the young guys, to give them the best chance to, uh, you know, make their team successful as well. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's parallel to teaching to me, you know, coaching and teaching is so parallel. Um, and I believe in like uh, teaching guys te learn different ways. So some of them can learn writing, taking notes. Some can learn uh, just watching, watching film. Some can learn through walkthroughs and uh, some of them can just learn by experience. So I take all those techniques and try to teach them to everybody. And uh, I saw a lot of growth from through the spring, so I'm excited to see what they do during the fall. Outstanding stuff from Tim Jameson. Much more of that interview on the Where Are They Now page on HoustonTexans.com and in the Texans app. Coming up, you're going to hear a bit of my podcast with Randy McElvoy, Local 2 KPRC Sports Director. Randy, super interesting guy, a Houstonian through and through, Bel Air High School, and we'll hear from him next here on Texans All Access. On the way out here at Texans Radio, we're going to visit with Randy McElvoy. Actually, we're not going to do it right now. I've done it already. It's part of the Vandermeer's View podcast, and I cannot play the whole interview here because we don't have enough time, but just a segment from it. Randy is really interesting, sports director at Local 2 KPRC. Texans game day is on there. Game day Sundays, 8.30 a.m., folks. You don't want to miss out on that. It's also on a lot of affiliates. Anyway, Randy, terrific guy, Sam Houston State alum. And Sam Houston State, I don't know if I get to this part in this segment, but I call it Syracuse Southwest because of all the sports casters that have hailed from Sam Houston State, especially local people. And I'll miss people, but Craig Ackerman and Adam Clanton and Randy, of course, and there have been many others. So uh, it's a fun conversation. And just a bit on the early days here, we used to do a weekly show called Texans Huddle that aired on Fox Sports Southwest which is now known as Bally Sports. Randy's one of the early hosts of this program. And in the early days, I think Andre Ware and I, also with John Granato, our sideline reporter at the time, we would alternate week to week and do a talk back. So they would hook us up from the stadium. We would talk to them in Dallas. Randy was based in Dallas at the time. And just do the show that way. We were the local experts, of course. And they did player interviews and other things like that in the show. The show evolved over time. Patty Smith did it for years with Bart Ennis and eventually with me, of course. Uh, so that evolution started with Randy McElvoy and John Radigan hosting the program from Dallas. I remember one time they flew me up to Dallas for their Sunday night show on Fox Sports Southwest. 
just for the night. I flew up in the afternoon, did the show, flew back that night. I think Charlie Casserly was on with me. I don't know why I was on with Charlie Casserly. If you have Charlie Casserly at the time, especially, you don't need me, but that's how they did it. Anyway, let's get to our visit with Randy McElvoy and talk about him doing that program. We'll start there. Back in the day, a segment from the Vandermeer's View podcast. That was the you know when the franchise first started, I guess at that time, Maybe I assume we were like the cable partner, maybe with the with the franchise. So we would do a weekly show, and uh, initially I did it solo, um, and uh, with some help from our crew in Houston, obviously, because I was based in Dallas and here in Houston, kind of back and forth. But um, yeah, I was uh, one of the hosts of that original. I think it was the Huddle. I think it was called the Huddle back then. And the, the early days when the franchise was just starting, I remember we would do the talkbacks, kind of like what you and I are doing right now. Uh, and uh, we'd have players rolling in there at the inside the practice bubble, and then we would knock out our talk back with, you know, David Carr, whoever it may have been back in the time, and uh, and then we had features and everything. So it, it was really cool being a part of the organization being new uh, back to Houston in my hometown, and uh, it, it was really an honor to be a part of that. It was fun. We were way ahead of our time, really, because we were doing talkbacks. We had a link up here at the stadium. <laughs> And you guys would be in Dallas, and we yeah. would put guests on and roll that way. Absolutely, there wasn't the the the, uh, the ease of Zoom where you could just push a couple of buttons and and you'd be golden, you're ready to go. But uh, you know, we made it happen, and, and you know, just the the newness of it all at the time. I I do remember, you know, we were we had Fox Southwest with the regional tie that we had. We would be have a crew in Dallas, which where I was, and then a crew here in Houston, as you know. And uh, just being able to pop down here, whether it's football season, some baseball season, whatever it might be. Uh, but growing up just five minutes away from then Reliance Stadium, uh, now NRG Stadium, uh, it was a lot of fun, man. I was so happy that NFL football was back in Houston. All right. So you grew up in Houston. You went to Beller High School, right? I did. I grew up in Meyerland, just like I said, a few minutes away from the complex and went to Bel Air back in the 80s. And uh Spent many times just across that parking lot inside the Astrodome uh, watching all kinds of games, Oilers, Astros, everything. Who were some of your Houston broadcast heroes and or influences when you were a kid? Did you have any? Did you know you wanted to go into this line of work? Or was it, I might want to be an athlete, but I became this or something else? How did that happen, Randy? Well, through high school, I played baseball. So uh, my goal was obviously to play as long as I could. And I got a chance to play a little bit in college. And then after a couple of years at Sam, I, I, I hung him up. Uh, but, you know, I was addicted to the, the broadcasting bug much earlier than that. I remember vividly as a kid growing up, I mean, I was fascinated by watching the, the local news and weather and sports. And you know, I didn't know how it all worked. I, I was just glued to it. I was really curious how they all how it all came together how would the video come in the pictures the interviews uh i remember man growing up in the 70s uh bob allen was my guy you know he was a guy i watched a lot um trying to think of some of the other ones there uh uh, channel 11 gifford gifford nielsen was there in the late 70s and 80s uh and it's funny because after about 86 87 when i was in college i had the chance to work for gif as an intern and then I had a chance to work for Bob and Tim Melton and that great crew over at Channel 13 for a couple of years. And I was actually hired over there part time my last probably year and a half, two years of college. 
Uh, I would pack it up on weekends and I was here working 10, 12 hours a day. But I uh, learned a lot from those guys, uh, especially when I was not only growing up, I'm watching them. I really enjoyed watching it, but getting a chance to work for them was a lot of fun. Matt Musil, another one over at Channel 11. Uh, he was there when I was at Channel 11. And, uh, you know, learning the ropes and making mistakes was what it was all about. And then after graduation in 89, I was able to, to land my first job and just start, you know, I was so green back then. And, uh, but I learned a lot from them to kind of jumpstart me to get me going. All right. So uh, we'll get into the in-between, but I want to zoom right to when you get the gig at KPRC local two, yeah. you're the man, you get the big job, you're back in your hometown. What was that like that feeling that you got to get that job after everything you just described and all the guys you worked with? Man, it was awesome. Uh, you know, I failed to mention that. I also worked at Channel 2 in college, too, and got to know Craig Roberts. He's another guy I want to make sure I mention. I've, I've learned a lot from Craig. Um, no, man, it was a dream come true, Mark. Um, it was one of those goals that I don't know if everybody sets them or not. I know I did. I wanted the chance uh, to work in my hometown. I didn't know if that opportunity would ever come up. You know how this business is. I had a great job where I was outstanding job. I did not see myself leaving that job, to be honest with you. My wife and I were very happy up there. Uh, Miss Houston, for sure, but still followed it. But, uh, you know, it developed, it opened. Uh, I remember the process. It was a kind of a long, drawn-out process to, because of the timing involved, and a lot of things had to come together. And, uh, man, I was so happy, uh, you know, having my family here. Most of my family's here, still here in Houston, and said my brother is still in Dallas-Fort Worth. But, uh, dream come true, uh, working for one of the stations I had interned for and grew up watching a few minutes down the street from where uh, I grew up, you know, all the pieces came together and, uh, getting the chance to, to bring it home and, uh, you know, cover the hometown teams during the, the good days, the bad days. And we've seen a little bit of everything over, I've been here 18 years now, uh, I've had some really good moments and had some struggling years of teams and, uh, it's still fun at the end of the day to get to cover your hometown team. So, All right, there's some stuff with Randy McElvoy, local two sportscaster from the Vandermeer's View podcast. If you want to hear the rest of it, and I know you do, go to the Texans app or wherever fine podcasts are available, and you can listen to the whole thing as Randy talks about his story, Bel Air High School, all of it, and we couldn't get to everything in this particular program. But I'll do more of those. I also have Enrique Vasquez up there, La Voz, the voice of the Texans and Espanol, a podcast with him up there on the Vandermeer's View page. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you for Drew for providing that interview with Tim Jamison, the Where Are They Now stuff, and Johnny Harris for being on the show. Next week, we're going to be out at practice. We'll talk about that, getting closer and closer to training camp and the season. Cannot wait. Have a great night and a great weekend, everyone. Go Texans.